Welcome one and all to the Irish Astronaut Podcast, where myself, Ethan, and my illustrious co-host, Murtaza, cover the ongoing happenings around the NBA, especially with a focus on the Boston Celtics and Houston Rockets. Before we begin, we'd like to plug our Instagram. We're at the Irish Astronaut. Give us a follow so you can keep up with the latest news. And also, we'd like to give a shout out to the one and only Norm McDonald, a comedy legend with many years on Weekend Update and SNL, along with an illustrious career in the show business. Um, prayers to his family, and our thoughts go out to all who knew him and were impacted by his life. All right, with that said, let's dive into what's going on in the NBA. Murtaza, how you been? I've been amazing. College has been a fun experience, and I'm sure you'll be experiencing it soon enough as well. Um, but I'm just waiting for the NBA to start back up again. Obviously, the offseason is an interesting period with free agency, with the draft and all these different things. But, you know, that thirst for NBA games is really high right now. Yep. Jason Tatum plays in less than one month. The way continues. Anyway, let's dive in and start talking about what's been going on. Let's start off with Summer League. The Celtics and the Rockets both had really interesting summer leagues where there was a lot of potential as youngsters on both squads got some good run in. Murtaza, what do you make of the Rockets draft picks this year, especially Josh Christopher and Jalen Green, who really got a chance to show their stuff in this um, in this start to the season? Yeah, so for all the listeners who haven't been following the draft as hard as Ethan and I have, uh, the Rockets came away with this draft uh, with four draft picks. Number two, they picked Jalen Green, a combo guard out of the G League Ignite system. At 16, they picked Alperen Sengun, who is a Turkish League MVP for the team Besiktas in the Turkish League. Uh, and at picks 23 and 24, they chose Usman Gruba from Real Madrid and Josh Christopher from Arizona State, actually James Harden's alma mater college, uh, respectively. Uh, unfortunately, Usman Gruba was playing in Spain for the Olympics during the Olympics, uh, so he wasn't able to participate much in Summer League. However, we got a lot of interesting takes from Jalen Green, Usman, or my apologies, Josh Christopher, and Alperen Shingun. Jalen Green looks like an incredible scorer at the NBA level. Right now, he lo- has shades of Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, with insane scoring ability, but a touch of athleticism above the rest of those guys, maybe even like nearing Zach Levine levels. Uh, when it comes to Alperen Sengun, he has been surprisingly athletic. I thought, like, the way that he looked, he seemed like he'd be more, you know, slower. He wouldn't jump as high. But he seems that he can hold his own in the NBA. And what's really impressed me about him is his, MB- his le- level of basketball IQ. For a player at 18, 19 years old to make some of the passes and some of the reads defensively that he's been able to do during Summer League, it's been incredible to watch. Finally, Josh Christopher, this is always going to be a pick that, you know, was not going to materialize immediately, was going to be more of a long-term project, but even he showed some promise in fulfilling a Drew Holiday kind of Eric Gordon role, a two-way player that can get you buckets on one end of the floor, but also be a defensive stalwart on the other side of the court. So overall, I've been extremely content with how all of our draft picks have looked during Summer League. Of course, this doesn't necessarily translate to NBA potential, but it is an encouraging sign for the future. 
Yeah, I think my impressions of the Rockets Summer League were overall positive. We saw a lot of good stuff out of Jalen Green, really showing his handle, his ability to come out of tight moments. I think there was that game against the Detroit Pistons that was really hyped up, right? Because obviously, it's the number one and number two picks facing off against each other. And Jalen Green rose to the moment, right? Um, he uh, did get crossed up by Cade Cunningham, but he also showed his stuff as well. He was able to um, get some scoring going, and I think it was really positive overall what he was able to show. But more than that, I was really impressed by Shengun. I think that Shengun was a surprise given his lower draft position. He really played above his potential. His shooting numbers were excellent, 37% from three and I think 43% from the field, really showing consistency, and then averaging more than 10 rebounds per game as well albeit in limited action and against some lesser competition. So I think Shen Goon, it'll be interesting to see how he develops over the course of this season, what kind of minutes he gets, and what kind of role he plays for the Rockets. I think those two do have the chance to be contenders for Rookie of the Year. I know this is a little early to start talking about season awards, but Green and Shen Goon have a lot of potential. They showed that in Summer League. And it's interesting to note that the Rockets don't have a really good track record when it comes to Rookie of the Year, right? Um, notably, if we look back at the Rockets' history, some of their best rookies, say Yao Ming, Hakeem, both of them didn't ruin Rookie of the Year, even though they were really close. So um, Jalen Green and Alperin Shengun have a chance to really leave a mark on the franchise and the league. Murtaza, let's look ahead to the Rookie of the Year race. Since the Celtics don't really have a chance in, uh, in this particular race, what do you think about the Rockets' chances if we're looking ahead to Rookie of the Year based on what we saw in Summer League? Yeah, ditto to everything you said, unless uh, the Boston Celtics second round pick just goes insane this year. Um, but you were absolutely, you know, hit the nail right on the head. Jalen Green and potentially Alperin Sengun do seem to be formidable rookie of the year candidates for this upcoming season. Of course, as the number two draft pick, Jalen Green obviously has more of the attention on him. And that for that reason, I'd like to highlight him in this segment. Um, I feel like when it comes to Rookie of the Year, it's kind of like the Sixth Man of the Year award where it just really matters your top three stats, points, rebounds, and assists. And I think compared to the rest of the field in this rookie class, Jalen Green has the best ability to pop off in all those statistics, particularly in scoring. It would legitimately shock me, given this na nature of this Houston Rockets team, that if you know Jalen Green doesn't lead the league in rookie scoring or is not even at like 20 points per game even in his rookie year and when it comes to assists and rebounds obviously those are going to be more weaker for him but he can build upon that over time uh, I think his most formidable candidate is actually going to be Cade Cunningham the first overall pick in the draft but I think because Detroit is relatively better compared to Houston the Houston Rockets they although they're in a rebuild they want to kind of accelerate that rebuild a little bit more and also Cade Cunningham by his playing style is a little bit more passive he's not going to get in your face but per se he's going to be more of a Chris Paul kind of facilitate the basketball role although he can score at times it feels Jalen Green is going to take control of the narrative driven rookie of the year candidate awards and statistically will be in contention for such an award during the season yeah and I think looking back at the past history of the rookie of the year is informative as well right last year we saw LaMelo Ball winning despite not being the first pick really outshining expectations as he overcame questions about his shooting and displayed the passing, which made him such a valuable asset, right? It's really rare to see someone with that much size and so much basketball IQ. And then a year before that, John Morant, also the second pick, really showed out with potential. Although, of course, 
that uh, his case for rookie of the year was bolstered by the fact that Zion Williamson was out with injury for much of that year. But yeah, I think Jalen Green can give Cade Cunningham a run for his money, and it'll be a close race for sure with such a packed field. And Ethan, just really quickly, I want to quickly shout out shout out John Hollinger, one of the draft analysts on NBA Twitter. I think he works for The Athletic. He ranked Alperin Sengun going into the draft the number one overall prospect over Cade, over Jalen Green, over Evan Mobley. So hopefully his analysis, you know, is correct for this future. Because in that case, we got two top three draft picks in this 2021 NBA draft. I'll just say that is a very, very hot take. Sizzling hot. But hey, if John Hollinger, if John Hollinger is willing, out, willing to go out on a limb, we'll definitely support him in taking that risk. Well, anyway, let's look at how the Celtics did in Summer League. As our resident Celtics expert, I'll go ahead and give my take. I think that the Celtics showed um, that they were too good for Summer League. That's my overall conclusion. The team they brought to Summer League was not anywhere close to the level that most teams were bringing with their first and second year players. A lot of these guys that the Celtics brought, like, say, Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Langford, Carson Edwards, and of course, Aaron Neesmith were guys who had a lot more experience than the competition they were facing. And they really showed that in the summer league regular season, regularly blowing out a lot of their opponents who just didn't have the talent or the experience to match up. But then, of course, came the summer league championship game where the Celtics were unceremoniously blown out by Davion Mitchell and the Sacramento Kings, who really just showed the defensive potential that they have. Um, Davion Mitchell was a pest the entire game. You know, his off na- his uh, nickname, Off Night, really uh, showed, uh, showed its reasoning on that night as Peyton Pritchard, who'd really been driving our scoring, was shut down. Aaron Neesmith had a poor shooting night as well, and our secondary players couldn't contribute. Overall, though, to take a step back from that one loss, I think that the Celtics uh, showed some good signs. Those signs mainly center around our second-year players because we didn't have a lot of first-year players. We filled out our roster with some players who maybe aren't going to see a roster spot in the league. And our two-way player, Sam Hauser, as you might know, our draft and stash from last year, Jan Madar, is heading back to Europe to play some more, as is Johan Begarin our draft and stash from this year. So that leaves us mainly with second-year players as our source of improvement and our barometer for the Celtics' success as we go into this next season. More specifically, if we look at, say, Aaron Neesmith, he showed his ability to shoot, right? That's what he's paid to do. That's what he did at Vanderbilt, one of the hottest shooters in the nation. And last year, they said that he was the best shooter in the draft, right? He was really cashing in from deep, showing the ability to hit off the catch, hit off the dribble. And I think developing that versatility is going to be really important for his development going forward. If he is just a one-dimensional shooter, if he's just someone who can shoot off the catch, that's okay. But we much prefer him being able to keep defenses on their toes by being able to shoot off the dribble as well and create some secondary playmaking. For Peyton Pritchard, who was the other big-name prospect showing out, he had um, just a really solid performance in Summer League, at least... Um, From my perspective, he was passing well, sharing the ball, but also doing his fair share of scoring, showing some of his Steph Curry-esque range by cashing in from real deep, say, 30-foot shots, and then also showing his ability to get inside at times and then kick out. I think that 
Peyton Pritchard's ceiling will always be defined by his athleticism and his frame. He's not the biggest guard. He's not the fastest. He's not the strongest. So it'll be up to him to use his craftiness to really get an edge as he looks to make his mark in this league and find his place on the roster. Murtaza, what do you make of the Celtics? Should we judge them by their regular season victories or by their loss in that matchup against the Kings? Well, certainly you would judge the Celtics based on their regular season uh, success or failures, depending on how the season goes. Um, I think this summer league is pretty instructive for the Celtics' young talent. I think a lot of times analysts such as ourselves sometimes put too much weight on rookie performances during the summer league. Like the previous example is like how Trey Young struggled initially during the summer league, jacking up a lot of threes, and people really questioned whether he would find a place in this league. And just last year, he was finding himself leading a Hawks team to the Eastern Conference Finals. What I think is more instructive is when sophomore players or junior players in their second or third years, respectively, come back to the summer league. If they're not dominating the game at that point, either like objectively through like scoring or maybe passively through like their passing ability or rebounding ability, then as a team, you might have to reevaluate your talent or your projections on that one player. And I think fortunately for the Celtics, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, they both had solid contributions, as you mentioned, to that Celtics summer league success. Although they eventually lost that final game to the Sacramento Kings, you could see that the talent was there and that they were somewhat dominating their opponents. Obviously, the NBA is a whole next level better than this NBA Summer League. So when you have players who have already been in that NBA environment before, they need to have been dominating in the Summer League to show that they've made progress. And I think fortunately for the Celtics, uh, Naismith and Pritchard have both respectively shown that. Yeah, definitely. And the one other player I want to touch on before we move on is Romeo Langford. So Langford really bought his way into the league through defense, um, trying to slow down players on the perimeter, using his length and athleticism to stay ahead. I think his defense was pretty good for the most part when it came to his performance in Summer League, but on offense, he struggled a lot to get a shot going from outside. He had one highlight dunk that really shook the league, brought his arm back so far, but other than that dunk, I wasn't impressed with what Langford brought to the table. It's interesting, however, that Langford is the player out of um, the group that the Celtics brought to Summer League, who had the most playoff experience. He was deployed a couple times against the Nets last year and then also earlier in his career. Uh, although it's actually his third year in the league, he's been limited by injuries for most of that time, which makes it difficult to evaluate his true performance. I think that um, Romeo Langford is still a work in progress, really, and definitely someone will consider offering up in trade talks as the season progresses. And then also of interest was that Grant Williams sat out Summer League, preferring instead to work on his game by his own. Um, many people, uh, I know there are a lot of Grant Williams haters out there who said that he, he should have put in some run with Summer League. I think it's a smart decision to sit out. Um, most of his problems are individual rather than team-based, and I think by focusing on himself this summer, he can really make a leap. All right, with that, let's turn to some of the off-season moves that teams have been making so far. The latest buzz around the league, especially with the Rockets, surrounds John Wall. Uh, reports suggest that he has recently requested a trade, or perhaps that's imprecise language. Rather, he's communicated with team leadership that he'd like to be moved, and the Rockets are trying to work with him on this issue. Murtaza, how does this affect the Rockets going forward, and what would you be looking for in return for moving John Wall? So I think, like... 
overall, this is actually a really welcome sign uh, for Houston Rockets fans. You know, we respected John Wall. We really appreciated what he'd been giving to the team. But I think it's clear that we are now on a youth movement here in Houston, led by Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Tate, Christian Wood, etc., etc. And so you wanted to make sure that that young talent had the most amount of opportunities to succeed when on the floor. And unfortunately, as good of a player as John Wall is, when he's on the floor, 35 years old, you know, handling the rock, that's not going to give the most amount of success or the most amount of opportunities available to those young players. Um, and I'm really glad that John Wall is taking, you know, this approach when it comes to negotiating a trip or negotiating some sort of movement outside of Houston uh, because it, he could have made the situation a lot worse than it is currently. And of course, it could get a lot worse. But at present moment, it seems very clear that he's committed to helping the Houston Rockets. He's, you know, maintained an ability to be willing to facilitate a trade um, if it does arise. And the Rockets organization rightly is trying to cater to his demands, unlike a certain individual who is now in Brooklyn. Uh, so overall, I'm, I'm welcoming this news. It means that Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. will have more time together. And, you know, further down the line, it also allows for lesser players, maybe like an Armani Brooks, maybe like a Kyrie Thomas, who were, you know, supposed to be off the end of the bench, maybe to get a couple of more minutes, prove themselves here in the NBA and earn some more guaranteed contracts, you know, and show themselves to be stalwarts potentially in this Houston Rockets youth movement. So overall, I welcome the trade. As it comes to like trade specific things, as a Houston Rockets fan, I really hope that we don't give up any draft assets, draft capital, but unfortunately with the mammoth size of John Wall's contract, nearly 90 million in the next two years, it doesn't seem like that's possible. Uh, but there could always be a team like the LA Clippers who were perhaps in contention, uh, but not this year due to Kawhi Leonard being out after tearing his ACL. Perhaps they make a desperate moves, give off some expiring contracts or that Luke Kennard contract, which is terrible, don't get me wrong, but not as bad as John Wall's contract. So obviously as this rumor continues to spread about, we'll certainly hear more from other teams gauging their interest on in John Wall. Uh, but this is a welcome sign for all Houston Rockets fans, in my opinion. I'm just going to put this out here. Wall for Simmons, you heard it here first. All jokes aside, however, I think there are some serious advantages to getting Wall off the books. The first, of course, is the cap flexibility that it offers for Houston. If they're looking to make a splash in free agency down the line, it's kind of hard to do that with John Wall's $90 million on your books. Uh, being able to move him, even if you have to attach some assets, is really helpful for you as you plan for the future of the franchise. And then the other one comes with fit on the floor, right? If we think about uh, the future of this franchise is Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, your centerpieces, right? Their natural positions are PG and shooting guard. And so if we slot them in at point guard and shooting guard, there's no longer room for John Wall to run the offense, to bring the ball up the floor, to start the passing. So I think that getting John Wall out of the, out of the system could be beneficial there as well, giving Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green some time to develop. However, I do think there are some concerns around uh, the role that John Wall would have played as a mentor, right? We know that in general, young teams often need experienced vets to guide them along their path, right? Because as valuable as a coach could be, a player's perspective is often 
the best teacher, right? Which is why we see this movement around the league of hiring so many former players as coaches, especially to work on skill development. And I think that Kevin Porter Jr. would definitely benefit from having an experienced vet like John Wall around to guide him through the process and guide him through his growth. With that said, however, I think that from John Wall's perspective, the time is now to get out of Houston, right? Like you said, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's had two years um, playing, uh, really uh, sitting out of games because of injury. And so I think that with all of those concerns, it's time for him to start thinking about his legacy, right? Start thinking about what he wants to leave behind in this league. And another down year with the Houston Rockets probably does not fit with John Wall's plan. Anything else you want to add on the John Wall situation, Murtaza? Yeah, I will say that, like, you know, you talk a lot about this mentorship thing, and I think, you know, that is completely valid. I agree with you wholeheartedly that the impact of having a mentor is really important, especially for a young franchise or young players on this franchise, like in the case of Kevin Porter Jr., who has had some behavioral issues in the past. Um, I guess my argument against that, at least in particular for John against John Wall, is that you can find advisors that you aren't paying $90 million over two years for. Great and point. I, and I think fortunately for the Houston Rockets organization, we have assistant coaches like John Lucas and even Steven Silas, the head coach, who has been lauded as someone who can really get in touch with these players that really knows what they're going through. Uh, Steven Silas, although not an NBA player himself, spent nearly 20 years as an assistant coach, and his dad, Paul Silas, was also a revered head coach in the NBA. So there are NBA connections throughout this Houston Rockets organizations, not to mention that we still have under contract DJ Augustine, Erica Gordon, who can also serve as veteran members or veteran mentors. But certainly the loss of John Wall, although like somewhat as a negative in terms of a loss of mentorship, perhaps will be much more beneficial in terms of opening up opportunities for Green, Porter Jr. and all of these other young players down the line. All right, let's switch over to the Celtics now and start talking about what has been a wild close to the offseason with the Celtics first trading for Josh Richardson and then later Dennis Schroeder uh, from the Lakers in a, in, uh, in a new signing, which netted them some promising talent on bargain deals, but also serious questions about the fit of the offense moving forward as both Schroeder and Richardson bring with them significant baggage from their past organizations. Richardson in particular faced criticism in Dallas, his last stint for failures with shooting and creating offense, although his reputation as a plus defender did carry with him. Schroeder for his part has improved his defense over the years, but last year in LA, there were frustrations, particularly from Anthony Davis, that he wasn't creating well enough to be a starting point guard, which eventually led to his ouster from the LA Lakers. So for my part, I think that uh, the Schroeder pickup is definitely worth it, right? This is a simple risk reward. The risk is very low. He's on a $5.9 million deal, basically um, change you can find between the couch cushions, right, for an NBA team. And he shows a lot of promise, right? Like when he was with Atlanta, when he was with OKC, he's demonstrated his his prowess as a slasher, someone who can get to the rim at will and use his incredible speed to blow by even larger defenders. But I think that 
the the roster fit problems start to become concerning, right? Schroeder has never been a plus shooter over his career, and we've said time and time again that we want to surround Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with size and shooting in order for them to be successful on the floor. Schroeder doesn't offer either of those. Although he's acceptable as a three-point shooter, he isn't a plus shooter and doesn't create a threat on the perimeter in the same way that we'd like. That same concern carries over for Josh Richardson, who had a down year shooting last year, especially from the three-point stripe, and we really want to see him grow in that area in order to make an impact on the floor. I do think this makes us a defensive nightmare for other teams, though. If we think about Schroeder and Marcus Smart really locking down guard positions, being able to stay with people with incredible foot speed, and of course Marcus Smart's signature toughness, and then Josh Richardson and Jason Tatum, who's developed as a defender over the last year, locking down on the wing, along with Jalen Brown, who's always been a plus defender on the wing, one of the main reasons he was drafted as high as he was. And then finally, Al Horford, his ability to stay with players on the perimeter and guard at the rim, coupled with what we hopefully uh, find as a healthy season for Robert Williams, gives us a ton of defensive potential when it comes to limiting other teams. Mertiza, what's your perspective on these uh, two pickups for the Celtics? Do they add depth? Do they raise our ceiling? Um, how do you think they change the Celtics' outlook going forward? Yeah, I think by Brad Stevens, the new general manager of the Boston Celtics, these are two good, solid you know, moves. Very low risk, very high reward. Uh, Josh Richardson in his time in Dallas was pretty terrible, <laughs> like to be you know, frank. But you know, he is a very upside, high upside player. We've seen in Philadelphia in past years that he can contribute with his defense and potentially his shooting from time to time. So it's a worthy bet to say that perhaps in Dallas, he wasn't utilized to his, the best of his abilities. He had a down year shooting with COVID and that maybe in the future that he'll return back to that Philadelphia 76ers role uh, as a th good three and D kind of guy. And in terms of Dennis Schroeder, like you hit the nail on the head. That was an amazing deal for the Boston Celtics, as unfortunate as it was for Boston or uh, for Dennis Schroeder's bank account. Uh, but it's a really high high reward play. If he doesn't turn out, okay, you just spent five million dollars on a potential player. But if it does work out, you have literally one of the best value contracts in the league. Uh, let's not forget that. You know, before he was in L.A., Dennis Schroeder was tearing it up in OKC with a triple guard lineup with CP3 and with Shai Gilgis-Alexander. So should we expect Dennis Schroeder to return to OKC form? I'm probably going to call cap on that, but I definitely think he won't be as bad as he was in L.A. at times. Uh, so I think overall, you, you know, with the Boston Celtics, their trajectory is very clear. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are the faces of the franchise. Just surround them with good shooters, with good decision makers, good role players that you know know what they need to do on the court, can provide defense, and can shoot on the offensive end. And I think to that extent, uh, Brad Stevens has done an excellent job helping the new coach Ekpeuda um, and the rest of his stars, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and getting more help for them in the future. Yeah, I think that one of the big challenges for the Celtics this year will be deciding how to move Schroeder's contract at the deadline because um, we know that Schroeder's value is pretty low right now, right? At least in comparison to where it was a year ago. So the ideal scenario for the Celtics is that we give him some playing time, let him show that he's still got it, raise his trade stock on the market, 
and then flip him for a premium at the deadline to a contender, right? Because um, the Celtics probably aren't a contender this year. But uh, there's also the scenario where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown grow, they start leading the team, and Schroeder becomes an, inter an integral part of a successful Celtics, right? Maybe we're a top four seed in the East, maybe even top three, right? And at that point, Brad Stevens is faced with a very difficult decision. Do we invest in the future because we know we won't keep Schroeder past this season? Or do we try to cash in right now, right? Because, of course, we do have some assets we could flip for some help, right? We could try to move Aaron Neesmith or Peyton Pritchard to bulk up our our, our wing uh, going into the trade deadline, and that would help us prepare for the playoffs. Alternatively, um, most wisdom suggests that we would still flip Schroeder and be more patient. But it's worth, it's worth noting that with all this trade talk around Bradley Beal coming to the Celtics, the Celtics are not, they don't possess that much of an advantage over the Washington Wizards anymore, right? A couple years ago where the Celtics were coming off three out of four, uh, three Eastern Conference finals in four years, right? It looked like Washington and Boston were two totally different franchises. But this last season has sort of turned things around, right? The Wizards have some young talent. Um, the players they picked up in the Russell Westbrook trade and also uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's coming over from Brooklyn, right? And just as much as Jason Tatum could attract Bradley Buell to Boston, Bradley Beal could attract Jason Tatum to Washington, right? That St. Louis connection works both ways. And so I think that as we think about our future as a franchise, we need to be patient, but we also need to recognize the urgency of Jason Tatum's tenure in Boston and try to find a balance between those two priorities. Um, so, Murtaza, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, how you think the starting lineup will play out. So we have a lot of options, right? At center, there's the decision between Al Horford and Robert Williams, and then at point guard and on the wing, there's uh, sort of three people competing for two spots, as we have uh, Josh Richardson, Dennis Schroeder, and Marcus Smart all gunning for those points for those spots at point guard and shooting guard. So out of those three, which two are you running with? So I think Marcus Smart is like a right in pen. You know, he will be in the starting lineup. I cannot imagine that Ekpe Uda does something else other than that. Just because, not just, you know, as a player, how valuable Smart is, but also as an emotional leader for the team. I think it's almost essential that you have him on the starting lineup next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. In regards to the second, I think you actually opt for Dennis Schroeder. And I think Josh Richardson will be a good off-the-bench piece. The only reason I say that is I think Josh Richardson, although he's a very good 3-and-D type player, he can't handle the ball as well as Dennis Schroeder. And although Schroeder is not like a point guard in the traditional sense by any means, he's much more fitting into the rust mold of like scoring for himself rather than the Chris Paul mold of passing to the open man. But he does have some passing ability. It's not like he's completely inept uh, on that side of the basketball. And I think one of the biggest problems that the Celtics had faced in the previous years was that they were over-reliant on Tatum and Brown to get them buckets through isolation basketball. I think at the peak of their powers was when Jason Tatum was a rookie and Jalen Brown, I think, was in the second or third year in the league when they were going against LeBron in that conference uh, finals, Eastern Conference finals. And you saw a lot more ball movement, you know, a lot more team basketball uh, during that time. And of course, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have become better players since then. 
but I think it would be valuable for Ekpe Uda to go more towards that team style of basketball, really involve all five players on the offensive end, and perhaps that'll pay dividends in the long term. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that when it comes to our starting five, Josh Richardson slots in better. My reasoning is this. We already have a ton of ball handlers between Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum. Both of them can bring the ball up the floor. Jalen Brown can also do that in a pinch. I think that Dennis Schroeder is best uh, suited for a sixth man role, right? Like he in the past, he's been a contender for sixth man of the year. And I think he can replicate that here. One of our big problems last year was bench scoring, right? As soon as uh, JT and JB came off the court, there was a dearth of scoring on the floor. And I think by slotting in Dennis Schroeder, we would have more punch. We would have more firepower to be able to give them some open run and keep defenses on their toes, even when one of our stars is sitting. All right, Mertesa, anything else before we wrap up this episode? Uh, nothing much, you know. Um, obviously, for the listeners, our loyal listeners, we would like to thank you once again. It's been a while since we've had a podcast. But unfortunately, as the NBA offseason is often pretty slow, uh, we'll come back occasionally during the off season to cover latest news, particularly in relation to Ben Simmons, John Wall. Perhaps there's a trade to be made there or any other relevant news. But certainly once the NBA starts back in full motion this year, we'll be going back to our schedule of weekly or at the very least bi-weekly podcasts to cover our favorite teams, Houston Rockets and Boston Celtics. Well said. We're in the dog days of the off season right now. Stick with us. This has been the Irish Astronaut. Thank you very much for listening.